Welcome to Process Party, party animals. You're on the Process Party party floor. Coming to you from the party. <laughs> party, party. My name is Mike Dawson. I am one of the co-hosts of this here podcast, uh, whereupon we talk to cartoonists about comics, and we are also cartoonists. And by we, I mean me and Zach Soto. Yeah, that, that was like a nice little... Loop de loop, you were just doing there. <laughs> you know, I just get on, I get on the mic and like, and just the freestyle comes out. It's a, yeah, you're a rapper. <laughs> Although um, amusingly, I could never do improv uh, games. Could you do improv oh, yeah. games? Were you ever good at that? Uh, I don't think that I've ever had friends that wanted to do improv games. So you, I've never you <laughs> really were friends with improv troops through <laughs> your teenage years and twenty. You know. And- I- uh, I was actually, I live right down the street from the, uh, Upright Citizen Brigade, but they, you know, I always thought I was too cool to hang out with them, so. You could, from outside, you could always hear them doing a herald. Yes, <laughs> I, could, I could hear them, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, picking three things yes. to, you know, to riff on or whatever, yeah. And, so. and a lot of people are saying, yes, and. <laughs> <laughs> And I have an ice cream cart, and and uh, a peanut butter dog. Yes. Oh, that all sounds these... good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I would have been great at these games, as long as they could allow my peanut butter dog. Um. Well, anyway, <laughs> well, I was gonna say that weirdly, I I'm okay in conversations. I'm okay on the process party, Mike. Mike. But uh, in those games, I go, I I just sit in the wings, psyching myself out. Uh, right. Like, come on, you got to do it. It's got to be good. It's got to be good. <laughs> so it's lucky that I don't put any of that pressure on myself for the Process Party podcast, which is right. where we are right now. Let's get back to business. <laughs> yes, right. Back to business. First item of business. Hey, we've got a great show for you guys uh, with a uh, a young cartoonist named Carta Monir mm-hmm. speaking with us for a nice, uh, exciting chat coming up. Uh, Carta is somebody... I've known from online, and as we talk about, sort of had a career as a critic, kind of, uh, it seemed, yeah. from our perception that she was more yes. of a critic. that was our perception, our faulty perception, uh, or maybe just the way things shook out, but uh, she is fully uh, involved in the comics-making side of things these days, and uh, and I think to, to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, to great... Uh, Yes, and yes, and yes, yes, and I uh, to 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 good cause or whatever. I don't know where where I was going with that. Well, her book, Um, uh, Secure Connect, is published by 2D Cloud, and it's a great book. And she also has her own podcast called We Should Be Friends. So that is coming up shortly. Yes, Uh, other items of business. Hey, check us out on the old patreon.com because we are a Patreon supported podcast. We really appreciate it. The Patreon is chugging along. Uh, we are uh, nearly to our second goal, I think. Uh, you know, the about yeah. you know the, the upgrading our sound. So, um, you know, we're 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 getting there. Um, and last week we launched our first episode of the Process Party Sewing Circle. Oh uh, yeah, which is uh, what we promised for five dollar patrons is an exclusive uh, hour long jibber jabber. 
of us uh, mostly in this episode talking about Game of Thrones, Spider-Man Homecoming, Twin Peaks, some books I read, um, some movies you liked. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun. It was a good episode. Um, yeah, I was actually, yeah, I was, I was, I, it, it's funny because um, the thing that we have is our sort of, uh, you know, our, our special one once a month podcast is actually, I realized it's actually just basically like what most podcasts about comics and media are. It's just two people talking about stuff that they watched. Uh, oh, Stalker was the other thing that we talked about, the, the Tarkovsky movie. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I felt like, hey, if we weren't already doing Process Party, we could have just done Sewing Circle. Um, although, you know, I think Process Party is probably a, a grander... Um, you know, aspiration. I think uh, so. I think so. Know. I mean, Stoic Circle is fun, but yeah, you're right. There, there are already podcasts, you know, where the two men are regularly talking about the things they read. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and what shows they liked and stuff like that. So we, we keep that stuff mostly out of this, uh, this podcast. And if you do are curious to hear us talk about those things, or if you just want more stuff to listen to while you ink or whatever, then uh sewing circle is available to our $5 patrons um, over at patreon.com slash process party pod. And uh, it's pretty easy to do the Patreon thing. Um, you know, we also totally uh, uh, welcome and cherish all uh, reviews that anybody writes over on iTunes. And uh, we don't have any new ones this week, but that's okay. We had like three last week, uh, so you know we're still still high off those. Yes, I'm still beaming (laughs) from all the love. Uh, But yeah, if you do write a review on iTunes, we'll shout out your name from the party floor. Yeah, we got 50 reviews on iTunes, so that's actually pretty cool. That feels legit. It's like uh, it's like after I was married for 10 years. Yeah, like I'm like okay, this seems like we're really doing this now. Yeah, now and now I think is when Earwolf or somebody comes and and gives us a lot of money to be a podcaster. I think right? so, is that right? How that works? I don't know. Oh no, that, I thought you meant that's what I said to my wife on our ten year anniversary. <laughs> and now I think Earwolf comes in here. Yes, that's is that what happens. We've been married ten years. That's what I've been waiting for. Uh, uh, I have uh, one bit of uh, personal life news. Uh, just an update on my son's stitches. You want to hear? I'd love to hear that. He, as we talked about last last week, he had stitches. Uh, and stitches don't stay in that long. They're coming out two days from now. So he's had them for a week. And I have no idea how these stitches are going to come out. Because he <laughs> will not let you take the Band-Aid off that is covering his uh, stitches. So I don't know how he's getting held down while they've removed 15 stitches from his head. Oh, my God. Are they going to have to sedate him or what? I don't know. It could be like how it was when he had them put in, that four people literally have to lay on top of it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and, then, and then because he hasn't let you clean them, there's going to be all kinds of, like, mealworms and stuff in so. there. Yeah, it's going to be like, <laughs> to pick them out with tweezers. They have to get all, <laughs> all the worms out of it, and then, yeah, to pull the stitches out. I, what I love about it, though, it's like you can believe the stories where they say, like, a human picked up a car to save somebody. Yeah. Because, like, when – so he's four – but when he was being held down to get his stitches in, there was like us four adults were like, no, keep him in one place. <laughs> He's breaking free. Oh. <laughs> like these, uh, they, you know, I guess adrenaline is a real thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so he's going to just keep those stitches forever because he's never letting anyone near them. 
Um, that's fine, because uh, boys are allowed to look like Frankenstein, right? That's true. Yeah, it makes them look that's badass. That's <laughs> one, one of the many double standards that we have going for us, uh, you know, so. Yes. Yeah. A blemish, a facial blemish is desired in a boy. <laughs> yes. Uh, so lucky him. Um, what else is going on the comics front? Uh, I had a strip I never actually mentioned. Um, oh, really? That went up on the nib. I mean, it went up like three weeks ago, but just never actually mentioned it on the show. Mm, um, are you sure? Pretty sure, but if I'm not going to say much about <laughs> it, it, but it, well, is it the the immigration one? Yeah, I don't think I mentioned that. No, you, you talked about it. We talked about it. Did I? You talked about it. I just want. But to you can it. talk about it again. No, there's nothing else to say. I just thought that I hadn't <laughs> urged people's eyeballs towards it, but maybe I discussed it. Anyway, it's on uh, the nib. Yeah, go ahead and talk about it. Well, that's it. It's over now. You stepped all over it. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> you uh, made me feel self conscious and bad that I'm. Am I just uh, ho- my, ho- hogging? What? Why? Why would you talk about this comic that you yeah. did recently? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so not much else. Working on anything new? I have started a new one. Yes, uh, it's upon the hot topic of uh, why the Democrats uh, can't are self defeating. Why can't they have a good slogan? Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it touches upon that, and I don't think. You know, as with a lot of my work, it's not giving you all the answers. It's just asking you some questions. Yeah. You know, that's, just, uh, what, that's what my readers want. They just want questions. <laughs> a, it's a question mark and an ellipsis. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, I am working. Uh, as, you know, as we discussed last time, I'm working on two things actively right now. I'm, I'm actually pretty chugging along with secret voice and i just started uh i've been i'm still working on the layouts but i could not uh stop sort of moving forward in other departments and i was i was figuring out how i was going to tackle a lot of this um stuff process wise because so previously i had gotten to the point where i was doing my layouts uh scanning them blowing them up printing them out you know, extra dark, and then lightboxing them from layout to ink. Okay. Uh, and that's where I had been for the last three issues. That's where I'd gotten to, at least. And uh, through a combination of my lightbox uh, breaking, okay. or the, 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 the power cord breaking for my lightbox, and sort of trying to figure out, you know, if that was really the best way to do it, and also sort of realizing, well, I have this Cintiqui thing, I have this monoprice thing that I can draw with. I don't like using it for a lot of finished art. but um, So I scanned in my layouts for the new Secret Voice stuff, and I blew them up again, but instead of printing them out and inking them on the light box, what, this, what I'm now doing is I'm doing actual pencils, um, where I hadn't really been doing that before, except I'm doing them in the computer, and okay. then I'm going to pr- print those out in blue line and just ink on top of that on the paper. Is this uh, so, streamlined the process, or yeah, it kind of has a little bit. I sure? think it, uh, it 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 adds a certain amount of work because previously I had sort of been going from very rough drawings to you know finished ink drawings. Okay. So it, it cut out a certain amount of like rendering time, but um, but now like I feel like there's a bunch of sort of machinery and horses and all this kind of stuff that I'm drawing in the new issue. And uh, I want it to sort of look more solid than I, you know, 
it may have if I had sort of freeballed it onto the. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but so I, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's both it's both streamlining and also sort of like there's another step in there. But I think it'll be, it'll make it a little bit easier in the long run, and it, it'll probably make the art look better because I'm refining my drawings a little bit more. That's kind of funny because I'm. As I told you, I got a Cintiq. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been getting used to it this last week. And in the new comic, uh, there's going to be one panel, which is uh, going to be a New York City skyline. And uh, for the first time, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, it'd be really easy to just sort of bring some photo reference over into the Cintiq yeah. <laughs> and put a layer like, on there. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's what it's for, you know? I mean, like, I know, but I... You, you didn't debate that too long, right? You immediately started doing it, correct? No, I'm still debating. It feels like cheating. It's, it's... Mike! God! <laughs> Is that like why was, we... It's why we have Cintiqs. <laughs> I was... No, I was like... I was actually going... To, I, I resisted making a joke about the fact that there's a bunch of people currently having this debate about reference on twitter oh they are i missed all this yeah there's there's a bunch of goofballs debating whether or not you should use a, a like reference material or like photo reference or whatever in your comics and it's like you know i think that people are very confused about you know like what what exactly like it means to be like you know you can be an auteur and use reference Oh, sure. You know? I'm not against reference. I was sort of joking that I was going to literally trace it. Um, well, but th- I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, like, you I'm know, not sure. it's, it, you know what? It's one of those things. I agree with you. I, there's nothing wrong with it because who cares? Um, well, and it'll make the, the point is the point to like line, do like a three point perspective and, you know, everything with your ruler and like make sure that all these buildings are done like. It takes you like 12 hours to draw the New York skyline. Listen, to be a real cartoonist, you have to go out with your own camera, take photos, print them out, make these like notebooks full of like tear sheets that is your reference. And you have to have yes. a library of them that you have to go and, through. And only you, like you have to have a library of, of, of images that are not found that you actually created yeah. from your mind that are also correct. Yeah, I just think there's, um, there's a certain amount of... Um, naivete to not you but like the no i'll take people, it it's pe- fine pe- well i mean I, look i mean I, i'm saying this as somebody who actually I, this is unfair because i too had to process this sort of like oh wait i guess i can use reference you know like yeah you know it took me a while before i realized like oh actually sometimes it's cool you can just like throw a photo in the back and like scribble over it and just the fact that you you know you you get rid of the photo but you scribbled over this like the structure of the world and it adds like you know yeah. a level of reality to your drawing yeah you uh, there's a in new jersey here you're probably not familiar um we have a new we have a governor race happening this year which i'm very thankful mm-hmm. for because unlike the rest of you suckers we have something to look forward to in november you know election wise <laughs> Although I don't, as I talked about on an earlier show, I'm not like super in love with our gubernatorial candidate. Um, right, but at least he's not Chris Christie kind of thing. At least he's not Chris Christie and he's not Trump. That's kind of like, you know, part of this comic because I'm drawing him in the comic. And right. I'm like, how does, what's this guy look like? I don't even know what he looks like. I'm like, let me bring a photo of him in. And I'm like, well, let me just sort of do my sort of style of drawing over this photo. And it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> But I can't help but hear that uh, chasing Amy uh, voice in my head calling me a tracer, and yeah, and you got to shake that. <laughs> Why do well, I have this piece of technology if I can't just trace my comics from here on out? 
That's so true. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm currently the current the page that I'm currently working on has horses in it, and I actually I ordered one of those wooden horse models, um, you know, uh, off off Amazon actually because uh-huh. e- everywhere I looked they were like two hundred dollars for some reason. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I ordered one off Amazon because it was like fifty bucks, and um, and I'm looking forward to having that model because I'll be able to like pose them in different ways or whatever, but I don't have it right now. So the page that I'm working on, I just went and I've got like cavalry officer photos off of Google and I threw, I threw them into, you know, my, my, uh, my document and yeah, I traced over them, you know, and Hey, those horses look awesome. I guess that's the thing. (laughs) Like what's better about a poorly drawn horse (laughs) Like, oh, that horse looks all off, but I guess yeah. he did not copy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's got 17 joints in his leg, and <laughs> that thing's yeah. a mess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a, a, a screenshot of my my horse and, and reference so okay. you can see it. All right, so I guess but, uh, I won't feel so bad. All right, well, yeah, yeah so that's cool. I'm going to totally uh, steal the New York City skyline and make my comic look awesome. Why yeah, why not? Antique? So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we worked through this. Well, I sh- it's kind of funny because um, I guess I just haven't been on Twitter much this weekend. Um, so you just sent me a screenshot and made a very loud noise. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I didn't see. I didn't hear it on this side. And okay, I don't think well, our, our listeners will. That pause in my voice was because Zach screenshotted <laughs> me in his picture, and on my end it went boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> Horses, <laughs> yeah, horses. All You've right. got horses. Let's. Uh... Anyway, that's good. We're good. Everything's good. Thanks for listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's go talk to Carta, and we'll see you after this. Oh wait, who's who's the uh, the real talk episode this week? I believe this week we're going to go live with our Dustin Harbin chat. Ooh, Dustin Harbin on Thursday. We'll have uh, Dustin Harbin and his tabling uh, philosophy. Uh, tips. So if you've ever been to a, a show where Dustin is is tabling, you will know that he has a cool display and he's got some very specific rules for uh, comporting himself and um, and he always does pretty well at a show. So you know... Uh, good tips. Good tips. So yeah, go sign up at the uh, the Patreon uh, to uh, to hear... The next episode of Real Talk, and we do those every Thursday. There's some extra special tidbits of information from all of our guests. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, on with the show. You're listening to Study Group Radio. You say you were drawing this morning? That's what... That's what yeah, you're, I'm drawing you're doing Tuesday morning. mornings. Uh, I work uh, Thursday through Sunday right now. I'm a hostess at a um, a gay bar, and so uh, Monday through Wednesday, I have the whole day to myself. So it's my time to try and catch up a little bit. Nice. Oh, that's that's a good block of time. It is really nice. And here's the part. Here's the part of the interview where either Mike or I say. Wow, we're jealous of that amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wow. <laughs> yeah, I just figured I'd save Mike the the problem of of actually saying it. But yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Do you no, say, it's really handy. 
do you stay very focused uh, on your working mornings? I have a lot of trouble staying focused. Um, I, you know, it depends a lot on mood. Like, I lost almost two weeks because I was kind of sad. And, um, you know, so now I'm I'm playing a bit of catch-up. So it it really depends. I, I tend to work in, like, bursts. So I'll have, like, a very productive burst and then, like, a couple weeks of just, like, completely nothing. Are you working on something specific right now? Yeah, I'm working on a comic for Zeal, um, the like video game uh, and culture uh, blog uh, site that uh, AVB and Jay Bearhat do. Um, you might know it for uh, Laura K plays, which is a good feature on there done by oh, yeah. in mind Laura K. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a comic for them right now. That's that's my big project. Is it going to be a standalone, or is it an ongoing sort of like like feature? So this one is a standalone. If they want to pick up like a series or something, I could do more in this theme very easily. But like this is this story stands alone on its own. What is it you're writing about? Um, so this is a story about how, as a family, we watched my dad play every single Tomb Raider game. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, like, the way I pitched it to them um, was that I said, like, as a family, we came together to watch my dad control a woman who wasn't any of us for a time. <laughs> um, and so it's like, it's it's like a real sad um, video games comic. I know it's a surprise that I would ever make a sad comic, but here we are. <laughs> sad, sad technology comic. How sad technology comic, I know. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely, yeah, I mean, technology and emotions is definitely a theme um, in the <laughs> work. Was this a real thing, like, um, actually, like, everyone called in to watch, or it just sort of organically happened? Your father um, playing Tomb Raider? You know, that's a good question. Like, I think at first he it was just him and my mom playing. They played a ton of video games together and um my brother and I were very interested because there was so little pop culture in our house. Uh when he started playing Tomb Raider, it was like, wow, this is something that we recognize as cool. You know, like other kids would also think that this is cool. Um so we were very excited about it and it sort of developed into like when he finished Tomb Raider 1 and moved to Tomb Raider 2 like we just kept watching. Okay. Um and then like when we went to college like he and my mom continued playing. They played every single Tomb Raider game released for PC up until the the newest reboot. They didn't play that one. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the family uh the family lineage right there. Yeah, no kidding, right? Well, how many... There's a lot of uh, Tomb Raiders, right? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, like, I don't have a list in front of me, but I would estimate that that's, you know, at least 10 games, maybe more. And how, when you sort of are composing, um, like, a story like that, are you, like, do you... Like, are you looking back to, like, all the different variations of it, or is it more like you're trying to recreate, like, specific memories? Like, are you um, less worried about the technical... Like, which version of which game it was and stuff? It's kind of both. Like, uh, I have a lot of very, very clear memories of Tomb Raider 1. So I was watching a lot of um, muted Tomb Raider 1, like, full game playthroughs on YouTube while I was drawing. um, Just so that I could get, like, her weird run sort Mm -hmm. of, like, uh, represented as much as possible. Yeah. Um, In the comics I'm making, I'm really trying to let go of 
like obsessive precision. Um, you know, like I drew a bookshelf just recently um, that, uh, you know, from memory, a, a bookshelf uh, in our childhood home. And I was getting really worked up that the books were like out of order on the shelf because they've always been in the same order as long as the shelf has been there. But then I thought like nobody's going to, re- you know, like it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, even my brother won't care. And so like it's more of a question of like getting comfortable with like uh, depicting sort of something that feels right or an emotional truth because like God knows nobody is ever going to go and double check these things. Right. You're going to be mad though when your brother does does bring it up. <laughs> no, that's the truth. <laughs> I knew, I knew that. <laughs> I often run it by him. I'll send him pictures and be like, is this, is this right? And then he'll text back and be like, oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting thing because uh, I know when I've done autobio. Uh, I've also often thought that it's important to like be very specific, like very exactly right um, to how things were. And then I have also, after the fact, wondered why. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what difference does it make? You know, like uh, those like particular, like that well, only I would know. I mean, I, I you know the the my, the little bit that I've done where I'm like, I I I draw something and it it's sort of basically what exists in my world you know i think that some sometimes that specificity is actually has some sort of charge to it mm-hmm. some for some reason like i mean like not to the point where you're literally reorganizing books on a shelf but i mean that that is you know a little uh you know more than is needed but like say like the way things fall like the way the weird way that people end up putting furniture in their houses that doesn't quite make sense or oh, know, yeah. the, the construction of a particular stairway or the way a yard is laid out or something like that. Like if, if you're basing that off of actual experience, I do find that some of that stuff really adds to it uh, subconsciously. No, that's very true. Like when you can sort of navigate that space um, <clears throat> mentally, I think it helps a lot. Like I'm trying to be pretty loyal about at least where major items of furniture are placed just because, Again, they they didn't change in the twenty four years my family has lived in that house. Like they set it up once and then it's been there. <laughs> um, and so, like that feels more important. Like at some point, I got really good advice from um, Phoebe Blackner, who told me like she she was like making fun of me for being too concerned about um, like specifics. She said something like, "I used to go visit my grandmother and like spend time in her house when I was a kid." And if I tried to depict that accurately now, I would have to draw my grandmother as naked because I don't remember what clothes she was wearing. Okay. <laughs> um, and so she's like, that's absurd. You know, you have to take liberties and like you have to make it into a good story um, because it's not like your your personal diary or whatever. You're you're making this to be read. And that's really good advice. Like it's something I try to keep in mind a lot of times. Like nobody cares if like, this exact thing didn't happen this exact hour of this exact day or whatever. It's right. like, you know, it needs to flow correctly. Well, that's, that's why like hourly comics or whatever are usually way less interesting than something that's been composed and rewritten from actual experience. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I don't know, whatever. Well, I, um, so speaking of hourly comics, you had actually posted some hourly comics, um, that, uh, but I thought it was actually very emotionally affecting. Um, did oh, yeah. you have any 
like what was the how was that experience the hour uh, you did those recently right yeah, it was. Uh, I did those this year. It was my first time really doing hourly comics. Like when I tried in college, I would get like one panel done, and it would be like I'm tired, and that would be my hourly comic. <laughs> They're uh, usually like, oh, I forgot to draw my hourly comic. Here's my. Right, hour. Yeah, exactly. It was that kind of thing. Um, so like, it was a new experience for me. I, I was seeing so many people that I admire doing them. Uh, like, again, Laura Kay. And I was like, you know, this seems like something that would be fun to do. Um, and I really tried to lean into it in terms of, like, I worry a lot about being boring or being obtuse. So, like, I really tried to lean into it in that, like, okay, I'm having, like, a hard time emotionally right now. And I want to be very uh, frank about that. Like, here's what's going on. Here's this uncomfortable dream I had or whatever. Um because I think that's like, it's more interesting, you know, from like a voyeuristic standpoint or whatever, but it's also like, it makes me feel better about creating something because I, I've never been a person who like just draws for the sake of drawing. I, I really want to end up with a product that I feel, you know, like stands on its own. Um, yeah. So like, uh, yeah, they ended up being a little more intense than I even intended, but like, I, I think they turned out okay. I, I got, very nice responses to them. Yeah, I think they did actually come out really good. Um, and intense, too, though. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, so that was the first time you'd ever done them, you said? The, so Yeah, that was the first time I ever did hourly comics. Um, I guess I wanted to sort of ask a little bit about the book that was recently published by 2D Cloud. Um, because this, again, was... Um, intensity is sort of a... Uh, a word that I would use to describe the story, the Secure Connect. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this feels like um, autobiography, but not quite. And I mm-hmm. sort of like wonder, like, sort of like, if you can sort of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Secure Connect is the first, you know, officially published thing I've ever had out. Um, it is like um, a comic about an online support group uh it is loosely based in autobiography i would say i mean there's a lot of like sort of magical or science fiction elements obviously uh like people come out of computers and things like that but like what i really wanted to get into like when i started the comic um i was specifically interested in exploring themes of like identity and trauma and voyeurism and shared experience um, and gender, you know, all of those things that were like very much at the forefront of my mind. Yeah. And so I wanted to try just a little bit to recreate the kind of dynamic that I would experience, um, like participating in like intense, but also like confusing or kind of aimless online conversations when I was a little younger, um, you know, like chat rooms or anonymous, uh, message boards or whatever. Um, and then I had also just been doing like mindfulness therapy, uh, groups, um, at the recommendation of my therapist. And like, I'd found that experience really interesting. So I was trying to incorporate some of that as well. Like, I guess most fundamentally it was like my big coming out comic. I was, um, working on it right as I was starting to come out publicly. And my idea was very much that like, this is like my big, you know, like 
self-actualized manifesto. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of have mixed feelings about that comic because I think it turned out still more obtuse than I wanted it to, you know, like more like, um, science fiction-y ambiguous, um, which is okay, but like, uh, it's something I'm really trying to address a little bit in, in, um, my current work, just like being more direct. Um, well, it sounds, I don't know. Well, it sounds a tiny bit like you're sort of saying that the process of writing Secure Connect, um, was that you were going through an emotional process yourself. Right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was very much trying to uh, put down, like, the, the things I was experiencing and thinking about, like, very immediately. Yeah. Um, and, like, a lot of the guilt that I was going through. Um, so, like, the the voyeuristic pictures, the obsession with sex and death and all of these things are like very much things that were at the forefront of my mind as I was working on that book. Um, and, and my idea with the book was really to give like sort of like a, a little cross section into this character's life. You know, like this is like a session of many. Okay. Um, this is happening like a couple months after she got the software. So like, you know, this is not the first session. She's familiar with these other people. Um, and, like, there are going to be several more. So it's, like, you know, like, here is one example of, like, an intense emotional experience, but it is not the intense emotional experience. It's an ongoing process, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I was just looking back and trying to see, because I, I was, I have it up on my, on my, uh, a desktop and I was sort of looking to see if I hadn't, I didn't notice. I think I missed the part that there was a time jump um, mm-hmm. in the, in the, you know, it's, it sort of felt like the first session when I was reading it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that I was just sort of like, it's, it's not entirely, uh, you know, important, but I was sort of like, Oh, was that evident to me? But um, I, uh, I think that you, your work, like the secure connect and the, then the other, the other story that you sent, uh, in the email. Um, I'm, I don't know that it has a title. Um, the oh, eight page uh, story. Yeah. I sent an eight page story that's going to show up in, um, Zainab's, uh, critical chips Two anthology. And then later oh, okay. in my upcoming TD cloud book, I've been calling it like all one word RIP mom after the name okay. of the, the folder. Sure. That the images are saved to in the story. Yeah. Um, like but both of these and then there's a couple more on your website that are all very interesting uh, as far as the way that you use sort of like user interface and and mm-hmm. I mean, not just the Internet, but like sort of computer, uh, the way that like everything sort of becomes uh, fractured when mm-hmm. you're using a computer, like there's different windows, there's different, you know, like avatars and things like that um, to sort of not just describe like not not just sort of uh i don't know there's there's like identity but then there's also like thought process stuff all being worked out on the page and i find that very interesting oh thank you like it's something i'm very in my own head a lot of the time you know i i always have been and i don't think that's too unusual but like it's something i'm very interested in capturing Mm -hmm. um 
like one of my favorite comics that I've made is uh, one that's on my website called Meet and Fuck, which is about flash sex games. Yeah, I like that. Right. I like that one so much. Yeah. Um, and so like that one is very much about like the experience of like a single browser session. Like, like you're sitting down and like watching from first person, like as this character is like going through these things and experiencing these things. And it's quite brief, you know, it could take place over like half an hour. Um, and like that encapsulates a lot of what I'm trying to do. Like very frequently my writing process is that like, I'll sit down and like just thumbnail and then like edit, but like I'm writing all of the text immediately you know like i don't script first or whatever i'm i'm very much trying to capture sort of like an immediate process because i've found that it helps me get less worked out um worked up about uh editing okay um so like that i think that comes out a lot in in the work that i'm doing is like here's like uh an experience and like you're like very much looking into like this character's train of thought or like this character's emotional struggle like it's the same kind of thing with them um, i fell asleep while i was waiting for you to come home um which was a story i did about a girl breaking up with her boyfriend and like looking at facebook and then um i guess this tomb raider story that i'm working on now is a little different this is a little bit more like um don't want to close my eyes or something where like you're not getting characters thoughts as much you're seeing like it's a more mm. traditional comic i guess um i don't know there's a lot of bouncing around that i do in terms of like wanting to specifically show computer interface as a metaphor for thought or whatever and then like after i do that for a while i'm like oh my god nobody will ever understand these comics and <laughs> i pull back and like try and do something a little more direct <laughs> How how old are you? I'm 26. Okay, because um, so your experience growing up, I, on this show, we we have not <laughs> interviewed enough people who are younger than like our 40 year old, <laughs> which we're trying to you know we're trying to improve on that. Um, so your experience growing up on the internet must have been so vastly different than like than what mine was. I um, would think so. Like you know, I was um, like it must have been I'm so prob- prevalent. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm just saying it must have been everywhere, right? Kind of. Like, I I think I'm probably, like, the last generation to have not had the internet and then, you know, got it. Like, so for me, um, you know, like, when I was younger, there was no internet. Or, you know, like, it was an only-in-school kind of thing, like, for special occasions. Um, We didn't get, like, internet in our house until I was in middle school. Okay. And even then, it was, like, a very special thing that we weren't supposed to use when my parents weren't home because we might break it or get a virus or something. <laughs> um, and so, like, it's something that, like, uh, I very much, it, it grew up with me. You know, I was growing up sort of at the same time that the internet was developing. Um, you know, something like YouTube didn't even come out until, like, what, 2007 or 2008, right? I think that's, um, yeah, something like that. And so, like, I think, you know, like, my experience is sort of, like, a a unique one in terms of, like, you know, childhood with the internet. Because, like, a kid born now, it's, like, YouTube, everything. Um, You know, like, they have no conception of what even, like, slow internet would be like. Um, And for me, you know, like, it was very much, like, a slow, difficult way to access, like, the pop culture that we didn't have in our house. Like... Um, 
spending four hours to load up a 30 second Harry Potter movie trailer like that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you say there wasn't a lot of pop culture growing up then? Like, um, not in my household. Um, we were very, very isolated. Um, my mom, uh, is an immigrant. Uh, her parents were Iranian and she moved to the U S she was born in Yemen. Uh, she moved to the U S in the eighties. Um, and then my dad is just a weirdo. And so between them, uh, like American pop culture didn't really come in. So like what I grew up with for pop culture was all the things that my dad had collected. So like, um, golden age and silver age comics and, Mm -hmm you know, old records and stuff like that. Like, imagine, like, you know, like, if someone who was really, really, like, into emulating crumb was your dad. Like, you know, like, so I've read, like, way too much of, like, Little Abner, Alley-Oop, Steve Canyon, Terry and the Pirates. Like, I know too much about all of this stuff. Um, But at the same time, you know, so I knew a ton about 50s pop culture, but like I had no idea what was, you know, like I was I never saw Power Rangers, you know, like I was very isolated from my peers. So like the Internet was an exciting possibility um, for me to catch up a little bit. When you got to like uh, middle school and the Internet sort of started to be around, was was there online interactions happening then, like with kids you go to school with? And like did sort of a pop culture thing grow in terms of a social stuff, too? Uh, a little bit. I think I'm trying to think of the timeline here. I think I started really like chatting with other kids from school when I was in high school, like on um, AIM or whatever. Um, and that was very liberating also, because all of a sudden, like even when I was at home in this very like sterile environment, I could, you know, talk to my friends or access the outside world in a way that wasn't um, easily monitored. Okay. Um so that definitely helped. But like for the longest time, my like real exposure to pop culture was through parody, you know, so like reading Bloom County is how I learned about the existence of Michael Jackson okay. or like, you know, reading <laughs> Mad Magazine is how I knew anything about the movies that were coming out. I would go into school and be like, you know, haha, um, a series of unfortunate events. What a dumb movie, right, everyone? You know, because I've read the parody in that magazine. I never saw it. It was that kind of thing. Like, I really didn't get proper pop culture exposure until I was in college. Did you sort of, like, binge at that point? Or oh, was God, it... yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm still binging. You know, like, I'm very excited to catch up on all of this stuff. You know, I've never seen Titanic. I will at some point, probably. <laughs> Uh, that's probably all right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just happened to rewatch that a couple of days ago. Uh, does it hold okay. up? What'd you, what'd you think? Uh, well, I, I scrubbed ahead on my phone to the part, you know, when the ship was sinking. About, <laughs> I like the part where Billy Zane goes, I have a baby. Um, well, that's a joke for Titanic watchers. Sorry, Carter. You, <laughs> you, <laughs> I have a child. Uh, yes. <laughs> You'll All get right. it one day. Classic. Watchers will love that joke. <laughs> oh, that's that's our core audience. That's a yeah. <laughs> uh, it holds up okay. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is a little annoying in it. He's very bossy. He's always telling uh, Rose what to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is something I noticed this time around. Uh, so anyway, welcome to Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> you have a. To shift topics a tiny... Well, I have two questions. 
I was going to mm-hmm. go to your podcast a little bit, but I do want to ask. You talked about um, sort of how your feelings towards Secure Connect um, mm-hmm. that you sort of have mixed feelings about. How has it been then, since you also mentioned that it's like the first book that you've like published, you know, high profile? Like, how has it been like going out, selling the book, and talking about it, and all that sort of stuff? So it's been good. I think like I oscillate really like wildly when it comes to my own work. So like right now I'm very positive on certain works and, and like a little more down on other ones and that's going to change. <laughs> um, and you know, like it, it sort of varies with secure connect. I think I'm just very insecure about it because it is like the first thing of mine that a lot of people are seeing. And I worry, you know, like could I have done better or whatever? I do think it's a pretty solid book. And I mean, like the responses it's been getting have made me feel more like it's a solid book because they've all been so terribly positive, Um, like kind of weirdly positive. Um, I think like when I was working on the book, I had very high aspirations that like people are going to read this. They're going to read it in book clubs. They're going to read it together and like, try and figure out like, what was she saying here? What is this brilliant metaphor or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then like, as soon as it came out, I was like, Oh my God, everybody's going to read this book in five minutes and be like, what? And then like put it down. And, um, so I was very, very worried about it at that point. But then like, I got a couple of reviews, um, from people I've never met online that like gave me almost too much credit. Like they treated me like I was James Joyce and like my drawings (laughs) were like such a genius move here. And, you know, like this is such a, a genius use of the form or whatever. And like, at that point I was like, okay, come on, you know, like (laughs) I just threw it. Like, you know, I just get down to it. That's all. Yeah. That's a good response though. At least you, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to become like, you know, that 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 shows a a a good uh, quality of character yeah i mean like (laughs) the, the thing is like i i am pleasantly surprised when something higher concept i'm doing works out because it's like i have such big ideas in my mind and i also have such a unique um set of reference points that i'm coming to things from that like I have to put a lot of faith in my readers that they're going to get what I'm talking about. You know, like with something like meet and fuck that is like by definition locking out a lot of people because like younger people have never played flash animated sex games because porn exists, you know, streaming video exists and older people probably didn't play flash animated sex games because, you know, they were self-respecting adults at the time that those were popular. Oh, so, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, like I was aiming very specifically at like people my age who went on certain websites and like, despite like being so limited, I feel like the responses I've been getting have been very positive. You know, people are like, oh, I really recognize that or, oh, I, I totally did that same thing or whatever. Um, and it's the same kind of thing with Secure Connect where it's like, I don't know if like the language that I'm using here is necessarily going to hold up or like if the, you know, the computer stuff that I'm doing like reads the same for everybody because, you know, I'm coming at it like from a very specific use of the internet, you know, like, but uh, overall it seems like the people who like pick up the book in the first place are like very receptive 
to what I'm doing. And so like, I should probably be a little bit less hesitant to say that I'm proud of the book or whatever. It's just, um, sometimes I, I look at it and I'm like, Oh, what was I thinking? You know, like I should have done a book that was like, um, you know, it had like a plot and like <laughs> characters, you know, that, that were like a little easier to follow and didn't require so much work from the reader. Well, I mean, the the feeling of sort of, like, feeling unsure about, like... I mean, well, I could definitely see why you, f- you would have, you know, a lot of emotions about it, because it's such a personal feeling book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you probably feel, you know, like you're giving something to the readers that's pretty, you know, quite a lot of you, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, so that's... It's hard to... I don't know, it'd be weird if you're like, ah, and I have... And I feel 100%, you know... You know, something about it, like, <laughs> not a care in the world, like, you know, yes, usually, like, these clever made, no problem. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you would think that, um, I've, I've had experiences, you know, along wow. those lines of, like, what, you know, you, when you're making something like this, it, you, you get a different thing out of making something necess- sometimes maybe than the part where, like, you're then sharing it. Um, right. Yeah. It sort of feels different, you know, and you're like, well, well I mean, why did I do that? You know? I think it's also, like, totally natural and healthy as an artist to you know, to, to look back on all your work and be like, ah, oh, you know, this didn't work or this didn't, I mean, as long as you're not like beating yourself up. Right. Right. You know, uh, I, I'm now beating myself up because I've just like looked back and I was like, I, there's a whole, there's a panel that says that was two months ago and I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> where, <laughs> so, uh, uh, anyway, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a totally natural, uh, impulse, one thing I sorry no no I, I'm I was trailing off it's cool <laughs> well right here to catch you Zach <laughs> yeah th- thank you thank you Mike thank you um, effortless effortless I was going to say that uh, I've been following you online for you know just through Twitter and social media for a number of years it does feel like you've sort of um, stepped up the pace of of how much you're making comics um, mm-hmm. is that true like are you uh, like making so. more now. I think I'm making comics like smarter than I used to. Like, um, you know, I've been involved in like what I would consider the comic scene since like, let's say 2011 when I went to my first mocha and like debuted a a book that I worked on, you know, like in college. Um, And from like there to like, let's say 2014, I was still working in like, you know, like I read a, Marvel way to draw comics book once. And it said like professional comics artists draw on 11 by 17 paper. And so I was doing everything at this enormous, enormous scale and like spending months and months on pretty short stories because it took so long for me to fill up a page. And like, at the same time I was like, Oh my God, like how is everybody releasing so many comics? I don't, you know, like, (laughs) this takes forever, you know, like it, looking at DeForge or something and being like, he must have so much like 11 by 17 paper in his house. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, at a certain point it was like, Oh God, you know, like I can work on like whatever size paper I want. <laughs> and that sped me up quite a bit. Like it, it sounds really dumb, but like that honestly is responsible for like the increased output of my work was just deciding that I could work a little bit smaller yeah, and, like, shake off some of these ideas of, like, what how comics should be made. Like, I right. said, like, a blue line paper at 11 by 17 with, you know, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with this nib, and that's how comics are made. 
and like finding a lot of um, shortcuts. You know, like uh, I'm working on this uh, Zeal story right now, and I'm using like square panels. And I was like, oh, I'm so sick of using a ruler. I'm so sick of ruling out panels or whatever. So like, what I did is I took a a post-it note and I like light boxed it again and again. And like, that's my panels. Um, and like, that is the easiest way I've ever found to like draw a lot of square panels quickly. Okay. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm finding all of these tricks that like maybe me from like six years ago would have been like, but isn't that cheating? And now it's like, well, I have a a real deadline. Yeah. Now, now you realize you should be cheating every chance you get. Every chance I get. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I think I feel like when uh, we first sort of started interacting, or when I first started following you, you were more of a critic. Mm-hmm. Um, is that that is that correct? I mean, so and I, then you sort of have moved over to being more of a cartoonist full time. So that I think that's that's a totally accurate thing to say. At the time, I was like, I'm a cartoonist who does criticism. Um, so like, here's the, the abridged story of my criticism. I was in college. Um, one of my close friends interned at Fantagraphics and she was like, Hey, you love comics. And I was like, I sure do. And she was like, there's this really cool comics criticism website that you can write for. Like they take whatever. And like, I think you would be really good for it. And I was like, Oh, perfect. Like that seems like a really great way for me to practice writing. And so I started writing for HU. Like, that was how I got into it. Like, I knew nothing. I was like, who is this guy? You know, like, how nice, like a little blog. Um, And so I really treated it very lightly. Like, oh, I'm just going to write about the comics I'm reading. I like this. I didn't like this. And, like, I was very surprised um, when everybody was like, hey, we hate you. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I sort of stumbled into something without really, you know, because it's like, HU has a lot of baggage, and, like, it turns out, a funny story, writing negative reviews of, like, small-time comics creators, like, makes them really upset um, instead of really (laughs) grateful for your great observations. Right. Um, So, like... um, the final nail in the the coffin for me was when I wrote the um, Charlie Hebdo article mm-hmm. on HU. Um, the morning of the attacks, I wrote an article that was like, hey, comics people, don't be fucking racist. You know, like, I, I was like, five people are going to read this. I hope one of them is Tom Spurgeon. I want him to feel bad. Like, that was sort of my thought in writing it. And then it became, like, this insanely popular internet touchstone you know like this is the one that everybody is referencing and like by that evening i was getting calls from al jazeera and i was getting calls from the new york times and they all wanted a statement you know okay. um that was the point where i was like i fucking hate comics criticism there's no point in me doing comics criticism i would rather do something else you know like and and that's actually why i started doing a podcast because well i did get that sense yeah that like it was like go ahead Yeah, it it was just like, like, it was sort of a twofold thing. I was like, talking about what I don't like isn't working. Like, nobody cares. And if they do care, they just care enough to get angry. And so, like, I would rather do a podcast where I talk directly about, like, 
I really like this creator. or I think this is effective. And like, if I'm, you know, like criticizing by omission or I'm criticizing indirectly by being like, I'm not covering these certain works or whatever, that's more effective. Um, because like, there's always going to be a lot of bad comics and like, I was running into the thing where people were like, hey, you're a comics critic. And that was very frustrating to me because I always considered myself a cartoonist first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like criticism was something I was doing just kind of because I was doing it. Um, and so, like, I, I think I I really don't have a lot of regrets about getting out of, you know, like writing comics criticism Um and, like, changing my whole name and identity was a perfect way to escape the baggage of um, all of those bad comics reviews I had written. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to disconnect from hooded utilitarian. Yeah, it's like, like witness go to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to be associated with hooded utilitarian. I, think I mean, that, you know, that makes sense. No. <laughs> I, mean, I think there was yeah. a there's a thing with hooded utilitarian. I don't think it was always entirely fair, um, where a certain segment of comics that sort of decided they were bad, um, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't. And I think in retrospect that was probably somewhat unfair, um, you know. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, like I I really liked a lot of the writing on HU. Like the thing about it was really that it was unedited. You know, like it was a personal blog that masqueraded as a big comics criticism website um and so like there were some really fucking terrible things on that website because if you sent noah a piece he would print it just so that he could be the first to comment and say that he disagreed with that okay um and you know like so i think what people remember are like the really embarrassing bad takes but you know there were some really good pieces of comics criticism on there and, and you know they're they're still there the website is still up. Yeah. Um, it can just be a little bit hard to navigate because of the volume of like unedited writing. I think I think the thing that I mean, not to get too far into you know hooded utilitarian analysis or whatever, since that's <laughs> not really why we're here. But I mean, I, I I I am sympathetic to the the hot take that hooded utilitarian often specialized in sort of bad hot takes. Though mm-hmm. you know, it's like a lot of contrarianism. You know, and a lot of uh, sort of just like negativity, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. I mean, and and I definitely had fa- when I found myself reading something that I enjoyed there, I was always like really pleasantly surprised <laughs> um, because I I felt like some of it was tainted by that sort of need to shock almost, you know. I think that's fair. You know, like um, Noah is a professional writer you know he makes all of his money off of writing and i think something that a lot of professional writers on the internet know is that more people will read something if you are saying something that they disagree with you know like they'll show up just to correct you or whatever it's like you know um uh here's some industry inside secrets i read something that said that like really popular pages on tumblr will um, intentionally share posts with typos because so many more people will engage with them just to say, like, to correct them. Um, And so it's like that same kind of thing. Like, I don't disagree with you. I think there were a lot of... I I, I think the the really good stuff on there was often eclipsed by, like, just the very ill-considered stuff on there, which is too bad. Um, Because, you know, like, 
Daryl Ao wrote there, Catherine Warrick wrote there, Kim yeah. um, O'Connor wrote there, and like uh, there are really some things that I look back fondly on, but I, I don't begrudge anyone for saying that they didn't like the site because I, I don't think it had a very good um, like public profile. So the experience you sort of had, you wrote uh, the the thing about Charlie Hebdo, and that became like a major thing, mm-hmm. as you sort of described. And then did you sort of feel, like you said that the podcast is sort of a reaction to that. Like, did you sort of want to separate from this idea of a comics community that we have to like all be a part of together and argue about and stuff and sort of you wanted to focus more in on like, like positive reading experiences? I think what I wanted to do was like, so like Chris McKay started this podcast called Young Talk. Oh yeah. And I saw that and I was like, this is a brilliant idea. Like, just a comics book club. I think that's really good. You know, like it was, I know there's plenty of podcasts that do that. Um, but it was my first exposure to like that idea. And so I was like, okay, when I'm hanging out with my friends here in Ann Arbor, like that's literally what we're doing anyway. Like they come over and they're like, what comics should we read? And then I hand them a stack and make them read them because I'm a, I'm a difficult friend that way. Okay. Um, <laughs> demanding friend. I'm a demanding friend. And then we talk about them. And so I was like, if we put a microphone here, it really wouldn't change our conversation very much. Um, and I really liked the idea of creating a platform where we could talk specifically about like, creators of color, female creators, um, you know, like non uh, cis creators. Um, Like that was a really exciting idea for me to be like, okay, let's build up what I consider to be like the, the canon, you know, like here, here are the most important and often overlooked young artists. And it's not to say that like, I don't like or value male cartoonists, but I was like, you know, like, um, well, thank you. For Noah Van Skyver has been on like a, a gajillion podcasts. You know, I'm not worried about like him getting coverage. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, yeah, let's talk about people that I don't see getting talked about very much. And that's been very positive and successful. Um, and it also like has really worked on just a, you know, a transparency level. I named it. We should be friends because I was like, people are going to look at this and be like, you're just doing this because you want to be friends with these creators. And I was like, yep, that's the point. You know, like, let's <laughs> let's get that out of the way up front here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, we thought about calling our podcast. You should support our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. But uh, has it worked out then, like, in terms of, like, have you sort of built relationships in the comics community? I find oh, that really podcasting kind of does help in this way. It really, really has, because, like, especially when I was just starting out, um, or, you know, like, when I came out, like, I I erased all of my old social media. You know, all of the work that I had done to build up, like, an online image was gone, and I had to start over. And, like, having the podcast helped with that a lot, because, like, there were a lot of people in the industry who already listened to the podcast, and so, like, who still knew my work mm-hmm. um, because of it. Like, it, it helped me, I think become a familiar name to some people um and that really worked out well and i mean also like for the other people on the podcast like carolyn is an ignatz award-winning cartoonist um but i do think doing the podcast has you know she says has helped her um like think a lot more about comics and raise her profile some in comics so like it as a career move or whatever like i think it's worked out too but it's it's much more of a passion project i would say um, yeah. I mean, I, I totally 
credit your podcast with me sort of becoming much more aware of your work and the people who are on the on the podcast with you. And I think it's like a great thing to do for that mm-hmm. reason, you know. So Thank yes, you. so mission <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> you did it. I did it. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the process party and I'm glad we got to talk. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Carta. Thank you, party people, party animals. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Brandon White, who does our music. Thank you, Patreon supporters. And thank you, uh, I don't know who else. <laughs> yes, and uh, yes, thank and you. See us next time on the old party floor. Perfect. And scene. <laughs> <laughs>